welcome to Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with fellow traveling freelance models. Today, I have Brennan Hill on the phone. Say hello. Hello. And I'm waving, but you can't see it. <laughs> I am extremely excited to have you on the show. I, you know, have known of you for way longer than up until the point where we finally met you in person. And I've always looked up to you ever since, obviously, you came out with the the public blacklist that everybody in our industry seems to be aware of now. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing ever. And you're so world-traveled and you're so legit. Like, you've done, like, commercial stuff. You've traveled to, like, you know everywhere I could imagine traveling to, like all different continents, different types of stuff. And you're just such an interesting human. And I'm happy to have you in the episode. But that took balls. I'm sorry to like just bring up that. Like I associate your name with being outspoken about model safety. And I think that it's really important that people who have like a lot of experience and who've been doing this for a long time should be a voice for that because like if we're we aren't then who else is you know and especially you know newer models you know i did that not to specifically to publicly out people but more so just to start having these conversations and for it to be okay to have these conversations and as a resource for newer models that aren't connected because like you know if i'm shooting with somebody i can text you or a hundred other models and be like hey is this person okay newer models don't have that so I wanted something that was going to be publicly available and Googleable, and just to start, you know, those conversations. It is funny now with people that are newer to the industry that don't know about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there was this period of a few years where I was kind of infamous for this thing that it took years to go away. Yeah. And it costs you a lot of money to deal with, too, because one of the photographers on the list tried to sue you, right? Correct. And it was a frivolous lawsuit. I was completely within my rights with what I did. But it was it was frivolous because it cost $50 to file a lawsuit. And it was thrown out. Like, it didn't even make it to court. It was thrown out both times. But the sheer amount of time that I had to dedicate to that, cost, that's what costs me the most money was the loss of work with having to dedicate all the time to it. Oh, my God. That sounds like a massive headache. And I remember just, like, what was this around 2018 that that this all happened? No, it would this it would have been it's almost been 10 years now. Really? Has it been that long? In that long. Yeah. Wow. Lord the other day. It's been like nine years. Wow. Okay. Dang. I guess that's why a lot of people that are modeling today haven't heard of that happening because not everybody's been modeling for like nine plus years. Right, like us old hacks. <laughs> Right, right. Okay, well, I, I want to definitely get to the roots of the podcast, especially because I'm very curious about you as a model. And we can come back and talk about the blacklist some more, too. But that's definitely something that I had to introduce you with because, like, it's part of, like, you know, why I respect you so much. But can you tell me and people listening how you first got into modeling and how your career has progressed to lead you to where you are now? So when I, I did my first photo shoot when I was eight for Kmart, which yeah. aging myself now because I work with a nonprofit in my home state that offers workshops to troubled teenage girls. And that's the first thing that they always want to ask me is, what was your first photo shoot? And I'm like, you're not going to know what it was, but it's it was Kmart. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, and they look at, they just blink stare at me and I'm like, yeah, it, it was like an old school target. So I've been modeling since I was eight, which, you know, was now a long time ago. Modeled. So everybody in my family is tall. My sister's 5'11". My mom's 5'10", 5'11". My dad's like 6'3". So I got signed as a teenager in Atlanta because they thought that I was going to get tall. And I peaked at the right old height of 5'6". Sweet. So... You're right. So I got dropped and then I modeled through college, a lot of freelance modeling, a lot of working for artists because this was pre-internet days. And then when I got a real job, air quotes, working in tech, I kept modeling just to use different part of my brain to do something creative, to do something that was not just staring well and 
the irony is that's what modeling is now is just staring at our computers. But I did that. I kept modeling when I got a real job. Um, and then when I got laid off and said real job, I was like, oh, well, I'll just go back and modeling full time for a little bit until I find something in my field. And that was 17 years. Wow. I've been full time for 17 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting fears. And during COVID, people kept asking me like, oh, well, you're going to go back into tech. I'm like, do you imagine me going back into tech after almost two decades of living my own life and making my own schedule, which, you know, for a lot of us, it just means we work all the time. You know, the ability to up and go to Haiti or work with my nonprofit there, the ability to go cycle across Kenya. Like, there's not many other jobs that offer the flexibility to do that. Yeah, I know. And I've thought about this, too. I haven't really had, like, a majorly legit job. But if I, but if I did, then it would be hard to go back to it. And it certainly would be difficult for somebody like me to quit modeling and then work in an office oh, afterwards. Works. Like, it just, it feels like torture even just standing in somebody else's office (laughs) yeah yeah i can't i can't fathom and i still love modeling and i've always said like the second that i don't like modeling anymore i am just going to walk away but i still love modeling and the opportunities that it's afforded me i've been incredibly lucky like i was paid to fly to the maldives and work in the maldives for a few days that's kick-ass Right, like who has that opportunity? So I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I understand how privileged I am to be able to do what I do. So, with this amount of years that you've been modeling, you've probably had to deal with burnout. Am I right on that? So, one of the best things that I ever did was start working with grown in Haiti, and because it is something completely different than modeling. You know, I'm in the middle of the Haitian jungle, planting trees, playing soccer with kids, no makeup, no shower. It's just something completely different than modeling. So whenever I do feel like I'm getting burnt out, I go to Haiti, which is not, that's not a normal response, I realize. But it's, yeah, I've learned, again, doing this for so long, I've learned how to manage burnout really well. And I know when it's coming on, I think is the more important thing. Like I can feel it coming and I'm like, oh, yeah, time to take a step back for a little bit. That's good that you have the ability to, you know, kind of manage your burnout with like some kind of a, I don't want to say balance because I don't believe that life balance is a real thing. I think it's a myth. Yeah. But it, it seems like you have gotten a handle of when you're starting to feel like you're going to burn out, like shifting gears and then and doing the the community work in Haiti. And another thing that I, because I, after I after I did the blacklist, you know, back to that, kind of thought that I was napalming my own career. I thought that I wouldn't work. I thought that nobody would hire me. Conversely, the opposite happened. So it was at about that time. And of course, you know, I had been doing this for a long time at that point. But I'm like, wait, you know, why am I not taking more creative bullet shoots where I'm allowed to? Like, why am I just there balancing light? So I feel a little bit more free now to say like, hey, what if we did this? Or... What if we did that? Or how about, I like this, but let's tweak it. So in my, my cranky old age, I have gotten a lot, and my, my work has gotten infinitely better doing that too. So that's taking a little bit more creative control back has been really helpful managing burnout too. Because now I feel like I'm a contributing partner. I'm not just a mannequin bouncing light. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you attract, you repelled the types of photographers that, you know, were obviously offended when you posted a blacklist and then you attracted like a more like-minded type of creative person into your life by by the act of, you know, posting that blacklist. Yeah, that was a completely unexpected side effect of that. I did not expect that. Yeah, you know, I can sort of relate. I I haven't posted a public blacklist like you have, but I do make little comedy skits that kind of make fun of like awkward photographer interactions. So good. They're so good and they're so accurate. I'm glad that you like them. Some people have definitely been offended by them. But for the same amount of people that have been offended that said that they don't want to work with me anymore because of the skits that I've made, I, I have an equal amount of better photographers who are, you know, more high quality creatives 
that have been attracted to want to work with me because they think that shit's funny because they're not offended because they don't have those attributes that the creepy photographers that I'm making fun of in the skits have. I'm I'm okay. There's two things to this. What I'm floored that they're not finding this funny, but two like I would think that most of them that are like the people that you mock would lack the self awareness to know that that's them. No, maybe maybe it's subconscious. Maybe they subconsciously think that I'm specifically making fun of them. Because they did, they rubbed the baby oil on a model once or, you know, they got a boner at a photo shoot or something like that. Like, you know, like, because those are like some of the skits that I've made are kind of making fun of that kind of stuff. And if if somebody did that, then I could see them getting offended, you know? I, I just think that a lot of times they're just so obtuse. Like the one you did the other day about like, you know, the, oh my God, it's only been three minutes. Like, it feels like it's been an hour and I've been on the same backdrop for like, oh my god this is yeah. nothing like I feel like he would think that they would just lack the self-awareness to know that that is what they're doing yeah you're right and I don't know if anybody reached out to me about getting offended specifically about that one but I do think I see a lot of people in the comments that with every skit that I post, they are like defending themselves. They're like, well, I always make sure to mix it up. And I always make sure that we're not getting bored. And I'm like, okay, that's good. I mean, this skit's not about you. I'm like, it's just about the people that are doing that. <laughs> you know, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that. Well, and I guess it is it, what we do is such a niche thing to like, you know, outside of other models of photographers and creatives, like, Nobody else is going to get those videos, right? It's just yeah, us. yeah, totally. I mean, but I I think that it's part of like this. Similarly to how you posted the blacklist and you thought that it was career suicide when I first started making those skits. Like I had been thinking about doing that for a long time, and when I finally started posting him, I was at this fuck it moment in my career where I was like, you know what? If people don't want to work with me anymore because I'm making these little jokey joke videos, then fuck it like i'll find a new career if this ruins my career then fuck it (laughs) but it didn't well good please keep making them because like every model i know just dies every time you post one because it's so accurate thank you i am forever encouraged by people like you who do appreciate them to come up with more new ideas and and make it happen so thank you oh we should all we should get a bunch of us together on like a zoom call and like roundtable ideas on what your next video could be and submit like requests i am always open to suggestions if if a few people have submitted ideas for concepts that i could recreate on their behalf so yeah anybody listening shoot me a message if you have an idea and i'll recreate it for you yes i'm here for that sweet so you your first photo shoot you were eight years old and it was for kmart and so when you said that you were dropped because you only grew to be five foot six, it was because you were like being positioned to be considered for mainstream agency modeling. And then when you didn't grow to, you know, five nine or whatever, were you disappointed? Then, yes, I was I was devastated then because, you know, at that point I had been modeling for eight years already. And like this was the the career trajectory that I, I kind of thought I was going to do. I am signed now. I've been signed with my current agency for 17 years. I'm signed as a commercial model, which is modeling for short people. But it's I am so seeing how back in the 90s, how abusive the modeling world was. And, you know, at 16, just coming into it, when your agency suggests that you soak cotton balls in chicken broth and eat those to stay full. Her. So it was actually, you know, I was really disappointed then, but I cannot imagine continuing that. Hood. And then what? Getting dropped because I got too old at 22. Like that's, it was, or it's still toxic. Let's be real. But it was, yeah. it was really bad back in the day. So it was, you know, worked out for the best. And, you know, commercial gigs are more fun anyways. You know, it, a lot of times it's just a job. But yeah, I was poor. I was crushed when I, I didn't get taller. And I did have two agencies suggest to me like, oh, we'll just go get your legs broken. You know, it'll take you about 36 months of repeatedly re-breaking your legs to make your legs grow to get you to the 5'8 mark. Oh my God. Are you serious? That's a thing? Oh yeah. That's a thing. It's still a thing. 
what? They break they break your legs like once a month or something. You're basically in training uh. for a couple of years because the the bone. Why am I just the scar tissue on your bones? I don't know why I'm brain farting about the word. Um, does make the leg longer by a few inches, and I'm like, you get no. That's that's gonna be a no for me, boss. Oh my god, people I mean, do that. It's really common right now in Asia. I mean, it's still a thing here, but just the fact that you. You know, it was so casually suggested to me at 16 that you go through two years of torture to maybe only have another three years left as a model. Oh, my God. That's so fucked. I've never heard of that. It's so fucked up. Right? Yeah. Like now, you know, everybody's going to go down into a rabbit hole and Google like this. Sorry. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, I've heard you could get like, you know, surgery or whatever. But I always I kind of always thought that was a joke. Well, unfortunately. Holy shit. When people ask me, like, I want to get my daughter into modeling, I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. You do not. It is, it's horrible. And I've seen kids, I obviously can't name companies, but I've seen kids get hypothermia on set because they were too scared to say anything. It's, it's brutal. Like working, you know, agency work and, and free, I mean, freelance modeling work can be brutal too. Geez, some of the things that we've been put through. But yeah, it's, it's a different expectation working. Yeah with an agency i mean with freelancing i feel that i've had to learn about like my own boundaries just through experience like for the temperature thing like i know now that if it's going to be 40 and windy outside that i'm going to suffer immensely and that i'm going to have to stick up for myself and at the very minimum just state that like 75% of the time, I'm going to be huddled up in a blanket in the car with the engine on with the heat blasting because I'm just not going to physically be able to get through a shoot like that. But when I started modeling, I, I did not have the ability to, I didn't have the knowledge that I was even allowed to set that boundary. And, you know, I think that's, you know, models excluded. Like, I feel like that's every, you know, late teenage, 20 year old female's experience. I can't speak for males. But and that's the one thing that I teach at the nonprofit that I work with is, you know, learn to say no, learn that's learn to set your boundaries, feel okay setting those boundaries. Because I just don't feel like we use that reflex. You know, it didn't become a reflexive action until we got older. You know, modeling certainly helped me with that. But yeah, I've and again, just getting cranky in my older age again, like I'm not doing it like no, like, oh, you want me to climb that freezing waterfall? Mm -mm. No, not for me. Yeah understandable so for the people out there and i'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that before i became a full-time freelance model i was still of the belief that you had to be signed to an agency like doing runway and like doing commercial work in order to be viewed as legitimate however you have done a lot of both you've done a lot of work through agencies and you've done a lot of freelance modeling what advice could you give to an aspiring model that wants to get into modeling that that is of the belief that getting signed to an agency is going to be the proper pathway? The best advice is not from me. The best advice came from my friend Christy Gabriel, who wrote a book, like literally wrote the book on that. So go download Christy Gabriel's book, The Self-Made Model. And she really just lays everything, like the entire groundwork and framework for how to do that without an agency and how to actually, like, I have scored big gigs outside of my agency, people that you've actually heard of. So it's not, it is not a linear, modeling is not a linear path. There's multiple ways to get to where you want to go. That's legit. I love that. Especially today in, like, the social media landscape, right? Like, we, it's like the the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Right. And it's it's funny. I was talking with another model that signed commercially the other day. We, we, we kind of missed the days where when we were going for a casting where we didn't have to put our social media clout on there. I missed the days when it was just like, hey, state your name, your height and your agency and that's it. Now it's how many Instagram followers do you have? How long have you been active on TikTok? So those things are becoming more important to clients. Oh, my God. Yeah, I understand why, but I am annoyed at that. I I love TikTok, but I also hate it. <laughs> and that's me with all social media. It's such a love-hate relationship. Yeah. So I have this part of my po podcast that I like to call the photo shoot fail of the week. 
And it's an opportunity for you to expose a crazy story in your modeling. And it could be whether the photographer themselves was crazy or perhaps the situation surrounding your photo shoot was crazy. If you want, you can tell more than one story. But what is your photo shoot fail of the week? Oh, oh, there's there's so many. <laughs> you could tell more than one if you want. The, the worst one that stands out is the photographer that shot me on a dairy farm in Ohio in August. Literal knee deep in cow shit. Um, oh. And then refused to pay me. <gasps> oh, my God. What? Right. And, like, I know where he lives. Every time I'm, like, in that neighborhood, like, I think about burning down his house. Why did he refuse to pay you? He just said, nah, I don't like anything that we shot. What? That was, that was the, that's the worst one. And I've had some where, like, I've broken bones on shoots. That one still sticks out. My favorite story is I was shooting really secluded spot. Had to hike. Sunrise. It's freezing. So I'm taking, because it's a Bay Area. So I'm wrapped up in a little blanket. And these two little old ladies come walking by. It's obvious what we're doing. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. I'm like, no, no, please just take a look around. You know, I'm warming up here. But they were there for their 70th, one of them 70th birthday and wanted to do a shoot like that themselves. Oh, I was like, that is amazing. Please do that. Please. Like, that is the best thing that's ever happened. And I've had really, it's been a while since I've had a bad experience. But like, I was at a shoot was with Kira Grant in North Carolina. Because that's all, all the models are from or live in North Carolina. And <laughs> we were working with a photographer that we both have an established working relationship with. So we took us four by four out to a really, really remote location in the North Carolina mountains. Amazing. Then we had to leave and the car won't start. And of course, we have no cell signal. And Kira and I at first are being funny and like, you know, taking nude selfies in a broken down car and like, but then the sun starts to set and we have a bear problem in that part. I mean, like we're in a soft-sided Jeep. We have enough water for a night. We can start a fire. Does anybody know where we are? No. No, because none of us thought at the time. This is like pre-Google location sharing. None of us thought at the time. I'm like, is anybody going to realize we're missing? No? Cool. We ended up trapped there for like eight hours. Oh, my God. Right. And finally got the car to start. Like, finally. And when he dropped, when the photographer dropped us off at our cars, because it was four-wheel drive, we were like, look, we're just going to tuck and roll. Don't turn this thing off. You probably won't be able to get it restarted. Just wave by and drive home. Oh, my God. That is crazy. But it was <laughs> funny and cute. You know, we were being funny and cute at first. Like, oh, let's take some pictures for our Patreon. Look at us. And then it's like, wait, wait. Wow. Well, I'm glad they got the car to start eventually. Yeah, because it would have been a very, very, very long hike out the next day. Oh, my God. Yeah, with bears. With bears, right. And we had snacks. Yeah, oh so there's God. been, like, there's one of those, and that's what's so cool about this job, is, like, there's never, a, there's, I know you know, there's never a dull moment. True that. And the, and the shoots where, like, nothing crazy happened, they don't really stick out in your memory as much because they were just fine. But there uh-huh. are a lot, of, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen. Right. Like, you know, I had a studio catch fire once. There's, yeah, there's just, it's never a dull moment. Oh my God. You had a studio catch fire once? Yeah. Holy shit. This was like 12, 13 years ago. Yeah, something happened with one of the lights and, you know, it just caught fire. Casual. Oh my God. That's crazy. And I, like, of course, I'm going to think of like 30 stories as soon as we get off the phone here to tell you. But yeah, there's, I mean, it's always something. There's, there's always something. Oh my gosh. I want to take a short little break to tell you about Model Society. 
ModelSociety.com is a website dedicated to featuring figurative fine art photography for models and photographers. What makes them different than other portfolio hosting websites is that some of those other websites will still host kind of tacky photography or exploitative photos. Model Society screens all of their contributors for quality and authenticity. So you only get the best of the best on there. If you're not a photographer or model, you can still enjoy and appreciate Model Society because they also have newsletters and magazines featuring their best work and new articles each week. Check it out, modelsociety.com. I will also include a link to Model Society in the show notes. All right, now back to our show. I wanted to circle back to I guess it wasn't like a crazy experience, but you said that some old people had like crossed your paths while you were doing a photo shoot. And one of them said they wanted to do a photo shoot like that. And that kind of stuff really inspires me. I think more old people should do like nude creative photo shoots. And I hope that I will also be doing that when I am 70. (laughs) Me too. Like, absolutely. And I'm not certainly not ever going into politics on here, but Elon's, Elon Musk's mom, Mae Musk, is just absolute goals. She is an amazing model, and she's in her 70s, and she is just a workhorse and just incredible. So I, I aspire to be Mae Musk and still modeling in my 70s. Cool. I definitely, I see some people popping up on social media that are, like, elderly, and they do, like, hot girl stuff and stuff like that, but... You know, I just hope that more and more, you know, like, gilfs unite, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. But then, like, if we're all still, because, like, there's a few models that I've talked with, you know, recently-ish, where we've talked about, will we ever actually retire, even when we, air quote, retire? Will we actually never not model again? No. So we do all need to do, like, you know, every 10 years or so, I'll get together and like recreate some iconic nude pose and be nude and have a little retreat, tell us old school OG internet models. I agree. I agree. And I think that getting together is important because, I don't know, like in my life, I do have friends outside of modeling, but the people that I connect with the most I've met through freelance nude modeling. We just have a connection with each other because we have these things in common that are really like weird to the rest of the world, but they're really normal to us. Right. right. So I use this analogy entirely too much, but when I worked with Gin Pop, you know, I can go to a mixed company dinner party and talk about my boss and deadlines and water cooler talk. What do I have to contribute to that now? Like, oh, I successfully negotiated the price of shaving my pubic hair. (laughs) We're the only people that understand that and can be like, oh, yeah, you know, I had somebody offer me that last week. Like, it's totally normal. Right. On that note, do you have a price for shaving your pubic hair? Price is negotiable. It depends on how many shoots I have, what area I'm going to be in. It's just the weirdest thing. Because if I get a bunch of requests to be shorn bald in an area and then somebody wants to pay me to shave that price is going to be a whole lot lower because i'm going to make it back with other shoots so yeah this is a it's a really really bizarre thing to try and explain to people that are not in this industry there's a lot of people that they will only have one pubic hairstyle and they will never (laughs) take any you know like shaving or not shaving suggestions and I'm a little bit in the middle on that because I go back and forth between having a landing strip and then being completely shaved. But for some reason, it makes me feel very annoyed when somebody states that they have a preference. Right. And I'm, to be fair, I've had this conversation with some other models. I have probably contributed to that because I am open to requests and have been open to requests for 17 years. Now, there was a period where I would not shave whatsoever. You cannot pay me to. But now I'm like, eh, it's it's going to be part of the image. Like, If you have a preference, that doesn't really bother me. But also, they certainly don't say, like, I'm going to require you to... Like, I had one dude pop up recently, like, the night before the shoot. He's like, oh, yeah, I need you to shave. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you need to pay me my cancellation fee because I'm not doing it. Oh, my God. Well, 
Right, especially if you had a bunch of people that were already lined up to shoot with you and they were expecting you to have a certain look and that look required you to have a certain, you know, shaved, not shaved, bush, landy strip or whatever. Like, like if if people are working with you because of that and then somebody's like, oh, for this two-hour shoot, I want you to just shave it all off, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing a disservice to all the other people that specifically hired you because of your bush or whatever, right? Right. And honestly, I feel that way with, this is completely pivoting, I feel that way with my latex too. Like people that are hiring me for a two-hour shoot that want me to haul all of my incredibly expensive latex there, like you do realize that out of this two-hour shoot, we're only going to be shooting for 30 minutes because I'm going to have to get in and out of this and I have to lube up and then I have to take it home and wash it. And it's just like, I just lost a whole day dealing with my latex and trying to pack it to travel for two hours. Yeah, right. All the things that people don't really think about when mm-hmm. you're setting up a shoot. Right. Yeah, I had one dude that wanted me in like head to toe, my head to toe full body suit latex. And I was like, we're going to need a vat of lube and an assistant to help me get this on. And we're only going to shoot this for like 15 minutes because it's going to take that long to get off and on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And some of those outfits are like that. But I mean, that's that's part of it. Like, you know, when you have the photos in the end, though, just mm-hmm. the work that went into it. Again, people, stuff that people just don't think about. Yeah. But I would say that for most shoots that I do, most of the time I show up and I'm sure that, you know, you are the same and most of us traveling freelance models is probably similar. We show up with our bag of outfits, mm-hmm. get to the shoot, and we spread out our outfits and we're all right, what do you want to start with? Well, let's start with, you know, the pink bikini or whatever. And then when it comes around to something like latex or something that's strappy, the photographer booked you for two hours. The question is, well, not- that looks complicated. How long is it going to take for you to put that on? And I'm like, well, do you like the look of it? Do you want to budget the extra 10 minutes that it takes to do all the straps or not? You know? <laughs> right. And even, you know, putting on stockings can be pretty labor intensive. Like, yeah. Again, do you want to budget the 10 minutes, 15 minutes? It might take me to put these on, make sure they're even, get the clasps, clasps get the lines in the back straight. Like, that's, it's going to cut into your budget time. I'm happy to do it. But it's not like just throwing on a t-shirt. Yeah. For there this is one of the reasons why for a couple of years I just like stopped like offering two hour shoots as an option. I was just like, you know what? Three minimum. You have to have at well, least three hours because I hate being rushed. That's so funny. I did that too. I did half day minimums. And but then I ran into the problem where throwing myself under the bus here. Then I ran into the problem of like there's a lot of people that I can't spend any more than two hours with. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I would fall to you in most cities, I'll accept a two-hour shoot. Yeah. I started allowing two-hour shoots again for, I, I guess, on the other side of that spectrum. I feel like there's a lot of really nice, artsy people that want to hire, like, all the traveling models that come into town, but they can't, like, hire for more than two hours. If they want to shoot five models a month or whatever, then... Their budget is only for around two hours per model, I suppose. So I guess it goes both ways. You know, you don't want to spend too much time with somebody who's annoying, but some people can't afford, you know, more than two hours, I guess. So, Right. And, you know, just like everything else, modeling has gotten incredibly expensive for everybody, for, for us to get around, for photographers to be able to pay us. We Most of us have increased our rates. Yeah, and that's why I, I backed off on the half day. Another reason I backed off on the half day. It's like, man, you know, and there's, I've had two hour shoots where we got more done in those two hours where I got them done on a full day. Yeah, yeah, I've had that too. It really just depends on how prepared everybody. And like, there's a lot of people that I've worked with at this point 60, 70 times. And so we know how the other works, what we're going to do, what the workflow is like, how the other person operates so we can accomplish in two hours what it would take two days to accomplish with somebody I didn't have a working relationship established. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So these days, like, what are you doing right now? Are you, like, traveling actively right now? Yeah, I've been on the road. I'm currently in Portland. I've been on the road for a month. I am on the road for another two months. 
Heck yeah. Well, that's crazy. And just, you know, booking as many shoots as you can, like through all these cities. I'm trying. If anybody would like to hire me, I don't know. I still have availability. I got caught in the California storms, which everybody's studios flooded, everybody canceled, everybody's cars. So I lost, right, I lost three weeks of work in California. Thank you, Mother. So yeah, I'm going back down and across the end of March. But my my birthday was last week. And so we're doing my birthday here with all of my friends in Portland tomorrow. Because my, you know, my childhood best friend lives like five blocks from Fluky. So, so we're all, me and a bunch of folks are going out tomorrow night. That's kick-ass. I love Portland. You're just a few hours away from where I am right now up here in Seattle. Oh, how long are you in Seattle for? Until the 27th of February. Where is my emotional support calendar? Hold on. I get there on the 27th. Well, we might be able to see each other on the 27th. My, I don't actually leave until the 29th, but I kind of reserved the, the previous day for packing my suitcase. But right. I can still meet up for coffee. <laughs> or I can come hang out and provide support while you pack your suitcase because I know what a beast that can be. Sure. Yeah. If you've got availability, I love the opportunity to link up as we travel. You know, I've got my camera with me too. Yes. Well, and also like my, you were like my first stop on the same trip that I did last year with a hot air balloon. Like that was just the perfect start to a trip. Oh my God. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. That was magic. I definitely will be going back to that field again with my RV. Oh, and sorry for those that did not see that. Christy and I were hanging out in Arizona. It was my first day on like my first proper day of the trip. And we're just sitting in our RV. We hear this weird noise and look out and the, just about close enough for us to touch this hot air balloon lands out front of the RV. It was amazing. Heck yeah. Yep. And that's one of the real reasons why I love that spot is that, Kate, that rarely happens. They rarely land that close. But when they do, it's really cool. And I'd never seen one that close before. I had no idea how large and loud they were. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That was magic. Yeah, and it's stuff like that that makes me love the shop. Yeah, every day's different. Sometimes weird shit happens. Sometimes you have to run for your life. What? You know, it's just, it's, there's, the previously, like, my job before modeling was in food. You know, I was a waitress and I worked in fast food. And, you know, there's a little bit of camaraderie and stuff that you have with your coworkers, but beyond that, it, every day kind of is sort of the same, you know, same complaints from customers, like, you know, whatnot. And you go to the same location, you got the same boss and there's power struggles and being able to make your own schedule and be doing different stuff all the time and traveling is cool. Right? But we are we are very privileged to be able to do what we do. I'm I'm well not arguing that. Yeah. However, I will say though that there, are, there, I mean, there are some disadvantages. Like it's harder to have like you know community and a home life because you're always gone, right? Right. Yeah, and it is. It's interesting dating again now that I'm kind of newishly single. It's interesting dating again, like having to explain the. I'm not from your city. I live on the road like nine months out of the year. Sorry, don't get attached. But, and it's just exhausting having to explain like my job over and over again. Like I just need to print out like a PDF template of like, here's the questions that you're going to have about my job. Please don't ask them again because I'm so tired of these questions. So we're formally announcing that you're single and available with certain limitations of availability that people are going to have to take into account. Also, I will go ahead and go on record before the, anything else happens. I don't date other creatives. The end. Do not ask me. Do not consider it. Do not think about it. It will not happen. Right. And I can understand that as it might be complicated, but doesn't like ruling out creatives also like make it harder for them to understand like to be an understanding partner of your career i've never run into that yeah that that's never in my my dating career ever been a problem i tend to date a very specific kind of person people that have the flexibility 
to travel with me or that can take some time off to come with me on trips or have equally enough busy lives that like so my ex and I he was like oh my god this was when we were married he's like oh my god I forgot to tell you I'm cycling across Corsica next month I'm like oh that's fine because I'm backpacking across Morocco <laughs> like you know I tend to date people that are non-creative but do lead very similar lifestyles Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so that you have each other's understanding that, you know, sometimes you're going to be out for a while. Yeah, it was just really wild to me. Like once everybody found out that I was getting divorced, that like all of these photographers came out of the woodwork to hit on me. I'm like, no, let's not. Don't do this. Don't don't do that. Oh my God. Really horribly awkward. Yeah. So announcement, people listening, if you're a photographer... You're off limits for Brennan. There you yeah, go. Yeah, free Because I'm going to hurt your feelings. That's so funny. I have another question that I like to ask everybody on the show. And I don't think that I prepped you for this one. So it's going to be kind of blindsiding. So if it takes a second for you to come up with a response, that's totally fine. But I call it the rising phoenix era of your life. Can you describe a situation? And this could be related to your modeling or not. It just whatever you want to describe where you were faced with a challenge that you had to overcome whether it be a career shift or an insecurity what's one of your life's biggest challenges that you've had to overcome so this and it's probably just because i'm talking to you that this popped into my head so when i got stretch marks in my early yeah. 20s i i i thought i was done modeling but i, I wouldn't wear bathing suits I have such marks on my breasts, on my stomach, and on my hips. I wouldn't wear bathing suits for years. This went on for like three or so years. And I was so insecure about that. So insecure. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm just this. I look like a topographical map of, you know, Eastern Europe, like gross. And getting over that took a lot of work. And I know that's something you can relate to as well. Yes, I can relate to that. It was a huge insecurity of mine. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then like dating and like seeing me naked. I'm like, nobody's going to want to be with me. Nobody wants to see me at the pool. And it it was just absurd looking back on it. But yeah, in that moment, it was, I was dead. Can you state if, if you're aware, like what caused you to like overcome that insecurity? Honestly, I think a lot of it was just age because you're you're insecure about everything in your early 20s, right? Like, yeah. my God, I wouldn't go to the grocery store if I had a vet. Wow. I th- yeah, I was ex. So I think it was honestly just age that kind of got me over it. And then, you know, as the years have progressed, because let's be real, I'm 42. As the years progressed and with the advent of social media and whatnot, for better or for worse, but, you know, then we started having like body positivity campaigns and things like that, which have helped further along the way. I wish we had those when I was 20. Yeah. But there's been more of a shift towards that gradually over the last 20 years, thankfully. Yeah. And I'm also influenced by that as well. Like people like supporting like various body shapes and sizes, like tall people, short people, heavier people. Like, people who've had, like, disfigurements from, like, accidents or, like, vitiligo or, like, amputated leg. When I see people who have, like, you know, something really different about their appearance than what I'm used to seeing, I'm really inspired by that, you know? I'm like, that's cool. And the stretch marks was one thing that I was like, you know what? It can be cool if you, like, embrace it. So... Mine appeared when I was around 14 because my hips and boobs grew with puberty and apparently my my skin is that poorly, like, I don't know, it's got to be in my DNA or my genes or something like that, but I didn't have any, like, major weight fluctuations or anything. and They just appeared through puberty with my hips growing. I call them Mother Nature's free white lightning tattoos. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really excited that you brought that up as your rising phoenix moment because I definitely align with that as well. Did you have like periods in your modeling where like you were worried about photographers judging you for having stretch marks or having to have conversations about whether or not to edit them out and stuff? I, I in my booking, 
clothes that I list, you know, I list my tattoos, you know, I list, you know, where stretch marks are. Um, and, you know, I, I don't care if they edit them out or not. Like, that's a personal preference. I, I did have one photographer say, no, this goes in the shoot doozy of what the fuckery. I had one photographer say to me, I almost smothered him to death, but he's like, wow, motherhood really did a number on your tits. I'm like, thanks, Gary. It was actually the cancer. And that. Oh my God. Wait, okay. I'm pretty sure I know which Gary you're talking about. <laughs> oh my God. Because he says stuff like that. He says like really insensitive stuff like that. And like, who says that? Like, what is wrong with you? Also, you are not a prime specimen of a human. That's yeah, fucked up. Yeah, it was also, he's also said to me, this, I was thoroughly done with him after a few days of shooting. And he said to me, he drove me so insane, I went and bought a pack of cigarettes. And he's like, wow, smoking is really bad for you. I'm like, so is being morbidly obese, Gary, yet here we are. Right, like he has, or like anybody has the right to, you know, tell you how to live your life or like pretend like they want to give you medical advice because they're supposedly concerned about you. Yeah, uh, I love that you knew exactly who it was, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely certain, like, characters of people that, and there's definitely specific people that get brought up over and over because of the insensitive things that they've said or done. And it's not necessarily like, oh, you're blacklisted. It's it's just that, okay, like, there's a lot of, like, behavior that isn't necessarily blacklistable behavior, but it's still, like, not behavior that you want to have to deal with like you know comments about like you know what's going on with your body or like what your decisions are or, like what you're addicted to like you know like that kind of stuff if it's not like relevant to the photo shoot and it's kind of a personal Grandma. thing like I just wouldn't bring it up unless you were, like really feel like you're personally close enough with that person to talk about that kind of stuff I don't know about you but me and several other models recently you know, we're all, you know, a lot of us OG people aren't getting older. I don't know if you personally find it offensive, but me and several other models I've talked to find that, so what are you going to do when you retire? I find that comment wildly annoying. Don't ask me that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do find it a little bit condescending because I think it implies that they think that we fucked up our life and that we don't know what we're doing. But like, if you're a full-time creative person and you're able to make a career off of getting your picture taken when you're under 5'9 and traveling the world and making a decent income off of it, I think that you can be creative enough to turn anything into a career if you put your mind to it. Well, and also all of the soft skills, and you're, you're one of the shining stars of this, but all of the soft skills that we have to acquire to do this job, you know, marketing. Branding, social media, all photography, <laughs> right? All the things we can parlay any of those into any field that we would like. Yeah, it, it's one of those. If I want to, like, at a certain point, I will like lean into another aspect that's a skill that I could, you know, make money at or not. But right now, like what's really working is what I'm currently doing. And like, well, why would I try to fix something that's not broken? Exactly. Uh, I th and I think the more that, that we travel, like the more times you go to a city, the more connections you build there, the more each of those cities kind of feels like home. And, and, you know, just even being able to work with the same people over and over again, every time you come to town is special. And it's wild that there are people that I've been working with for 20 years now. It's that's wow. insane to me. And I'm with a friend of mine. I'm actually recreating one of my most iconic shots that I've ever done. Easily my most popular photo I've ever done. But it was like 15 years ago. So for my 42nd birthday this last month, we're going to actually recreate it with how I look now. So it's just been wild watching the progression of everybody's work, you know, my, my body of work. And, you know, growing, working with and growing with these photographers as they've grown and started is just incredible watching that trajectory of, like, there's people that I was their first shoot with, and, like, now they're famous photographers. That's awesome. It wow. is super cool. If you had to guess what percentage of people getting into freelance modeling do it for more than five years? Less than 5%. Yeah. 
And then of, of those less than 5%, like the percentage of people who end up doing it full time like this, like not very many. 2%? Is super niche. 2%? And I think, so the five-year mark, I, I think is interesting because that's when shit gets real. Because at first, you know, you struggle to get your name out there, but, you know, you, you do some TF with some local photographers. Then you start gaining traction. Then you're fresh meat for a few years when everybody wants to shoot you because you're the shiny new thing. And then at about the five-year mark, when everybody is shot you, now's when it gets hard and you have to actively start seeking work out. You have to actively network. People are no longer chomping at the bit to work with you because like, oh, I've already shot you three times. Yeah, there's another shiny new thing around. This is when you have to lean on the relationships that you've developed. So after five years, the five to seven year mark is when most models, I think, quit. It's because it, it gets hard. Yeah. But if you are able to build up your name enough within the first, you know, five to seven years, then you become like, I kind of like to compare it to being like a baseball card, you know, like people collect baseball cards, like, well, I have to add this one to my portfolio and I, I got to catch them all, right? Like Pokemon. We are like Pokemons traveling around and photographers are collecting pictures of us to add to their portfolio. So after five to seven years, you become one of those baseball card Pokemon model. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, within, we are. Within after like 10, 15 plus years, then what? Then you're already in all these portfolios. And then when photographers that you haven't worked with yet are looking at working with you, they say, oh, what can I shoot with you that you already haven't done 5,000 times? And you're like, there's not very many ideas. And if you come up with a weird enough idea, I might actually be repulsed by it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying that I'm saying that because I've had some weird shoots that were so, so weird because the photographer was trying to come up with something outside the box and I don't know like the, the one that I'm thinking of this photographer like really really wanted to shoot something that I'd never done before so his idea and I'm, I'm sorry if you're listening to this man but like you know we didn't pull it off and I hope that you're not offended but he wanted to do a, a, a clown glory hole where he painted my face like a clown and he made a little glory hole out of like a piece of cardboard. Like, so it looked like I was, you know, like a, a whore clown. And then there's like a balloon dick and balls that would come through the the hole in the wall. And I was like, I'm not putting this in my portfolio. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I'm crying. Yeah. It, it was very creative. I'll give him that. And yep. it's not that I didn't enjoy, but I was like, do you want me to suck on the balloon dick? Because I'm not going to. No. Do it, yeah. And I've again been doing this so long. Like, I actually appreciate the weird ideas now because I'm like, okay, let's see if we can actually pull this off and make this work because this is insane, and I love it. So I am, I am. If you have a weird thing, I am here for it, provided it's not like your actual fetish or something like gross. That's a good clause, <laughs> right? Like, if you really had a thing for like, I don't know, toenail clippings or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, no. Yeah, and when we get into fetish modeling, like, that's just a whole other can of worms, you know? Like, oh, have boy. you done that? That, like, that should be a whole other podcast. Whole other podcast. It could be. Every time I end up talking about fetish modeling, like, we go on and on because, oh. yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it gets really entertaining, you know? That's where it gets real weird real fast. Yeah, it can get real weird real fast. But I will say that some of the fetish shoots that I've had have been some of the most fantastic and interesting experiences, where other fetish shoots that I've had have been some of the most, like, fucked up experiences, so. I shoot extremely limited fetish because, yeah, I have to keep the persona clean for commercial work. I, some of my best experiences have been fetish shoots. Like, if they're insane, it's always comedic, like. It's usually like the teams that I work with, which are very few, are just hysterical. Like it, it, we have an absolute blast doing this. It's absurd. Balloon popping. <laughs> Balloon popping. Right. Right. How could you not have fun doing that? You know. Yes. Pretending to be hypnotized. You know, just cleaning somebody's house fully closed. Yeah. Yep, I've done that. And then obviously the, the messy ones where you get into a pie fight and whatnot. Oh, That's fun. Well, no, no. I No? Okay. Never, 
My favorite was when somebody asked me, it was a, it was a custom request. Somebody asked me and one of my best friends to pretend to be hypnotized and act like chickens, which took us entirely too long to shoot because we're laughing so hard because we're just walking around my living room floor like, oh my God. <laughs> it was so much yes. editing. So much editing. Just absurd. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> Be a model. I should do more I should do more fetish modeling now that I'm talking about it. It sounds but so many people hear the word fetish and they assume that it means some kind of a weird hardcore porn thing, right? Yep. Yeah, it's been an interesting topic of conversation, like with my family and friends that are not in the industry. My mother my poor mom, God bless her, she's a saint. But she found out that manure fetish was a thing the other day and almost lost her mind. I was like, yes, mother, there's a fetish for everything. And if you spent one day in my inbox, you would be horrified. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you've ever been on the website Clips for Sale, I find it very fascinating to just go to the categories drop down menu and scroll <laughs> down and alphabetically read all the new categories that are always popping up. I haven't gone recently to look, but they always had new categories that I'm like, what is what is the Sharpies fetish? Like, what is what is that? Sharpie markers? Like, There's a fetish for Sharpies? Yeah. What? I know, right? Anything that you can think of, and there's a fetish category yeah. on clips for sale for it. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Even even the Sharpie one's new on me. I <laughs> used my mother the other day. Puffy jacket fetish. Very puffy jacket. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I would love to sign up for that. Like I literally just get to wear a puffy jacket and roll around in the bed in my puffy jacket. It's great. Eating in the car. <laughs> Washing your hair. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, some of them can be fun, you know, like I used to go to fetish con. I want to go back one of these days because it's interesting. But yeah, just a whole we, we said we weren't going to get into it, but then we totally got into it. Right. But, yeah, it can be weird, but it can be funny, weird, not necessarily bad, weird. And also, like, these are the, the beginning part of our conversation is the conversations that no models have. Like, I don't ever remember asking a model like how you got started or how you got into this. But we can all sit around a war story about what fetish did you get asked to shoot this week. So for those listening, this is how we actually talk when we're together. Yep. Yes. And that's one of the main reasons why this podcast was originally formed. I was in like an Instagram group chat with like 50 other models. And I think we were just chatting about references and safety and giving each other ideas and whatnot. And, you know, funny stories will pop up like that. And one person was like, you know, we have so many like unique experiences. There has to be a podcast where we can just talk about this crazy shit. And that's why I was like, you know, I've been wanting to start a podcast. And that's how this podcast came to be. <laughs> I'm, I'm in full support of this. And like you kind of mentioned, so I was dating this guy, Gen Pop, right? I had a really bad shoot experience in Utah. And this was years ago. And I spent like two hours flying home the airport trying to explain to him what happened. And I had another model living with me at the time. And I walked in the door and she's like, how was your trip? And I just said homeboy's name. And she was like, oh, shit. She knew instantly. And like, there's the camaraderie in that. And just like, oh, thank God I didn't have to explain why my trip was so awful to anybody. Because you get it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's why it's important for us to get together even after we you know air quote retire from modeling you know we can shoot each other and you know talk about our crazy stories together because <laughs> we got some doozies yeah I'm, I'm kind of upset that i didn't think about that in advance and like plan out my terrible shoots but yeah we'll, I'll, I'll wing it that's what i do with my entire life yeah so you know interestingly most people that are on the podcast maybe not most maybe about at least 50 percent they don't want to tell like a bad experience story on the podcast because they feel like sharing that information might make them like their brand look less friendly to photographers who might want to hire them and i i can understand that like not wanting to tell like 
something that was like fucked up crazy that happened at a shoot. So a lot of people try to tell the funny stories or like the right. the weird situation stories, but there there's often so many times that I finish recording and then as soon as I'm done, they'll tell me like the most fucked up story ever and I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that happened." But they didn't want to air it live. Oh, well, I went full in with mine and I hope he hears this. <laughs> yeah way to go i mean like i wouldn't expect any less of you because you're also the model that posted the blacklist a few years back and so yeah, you, and you give no fucks i am queen of kicking a hornet's nest if there was a hornet's nest to be kicked. yeah and there's a freedom in that you know because people who are gonna try to push your limits or whatever they're they're repelled by that kind of behavior so this was really fascinating to me so photographer that i have worked with a whole bunch he's local to me post it was like six months after i published the blacklist so we spent of our three-hour shoot which this happened with most of my shoots we spent the first two hours talking about the blacklist and all the fallout and everything that happened so i was getting like two thousand messages an hour for for about two years yeah it was it was just like my best friend that i'm here with now asked me she's like how are you responding to all of these messages? I'm like, how can I not? Because like these are women that have been raped that are like, I just found, you know, my voice to be able to speak up after seeing this. And you know, like, how can I not? How can I not? So, anyways, we spent the first two hours of our three hour shoot talking about blacklists, and he was very in support of it. And so then we t- shooting the last hour, and I'm posing on my back. You know how we do? We're arched. We're in a hotel bed. Opposed, we've all done ten billion times. This dude walks up to me and runs his finger down my sternum and says, this is my favorite part of you. And I'm like, like, we just spent two hours talking about how people like to do this inappropriate. What is wrong with you? What? What? So it it didn't cure all problems for me. And, you know, as years have gone on and people have kind of forgotten, I'm also like team, like, I'm not taking your shit. I will get up and walk off and I walked out of a lot of shoots this last year by being completely... Wow. So was he just completely lacking self-awareness or was he intentionally trying to push your buttons? I have no idea because I left. So I was like, we're done. Can I have my money? I'm leaving. Whoa. When, when it was just like, if we hadn't have spent the first two hours discussing this, it would have been one thing. Like I could have just corrected him and been like, yo, this is not a hands-on sport. Don't touch me. But the fact that we just spent two hours talking about it was just wild. Yeah, like model photography 101, rule number one, page one. Don't touch the model. Don't let me. Right. Right. There's no like limit that's not more obvious than that. Like you don't do it. I had a photographer once, this was years ago in New Jersey, walk up to me and just twist my hips. It was like, whoa, do not touch me. He's like, if you need me to move, tell me how to move. And he was actually like horrified and appalled. I don't know if this is real, if it was fake on his end, but he's like, I'm so sorry. I just work with so many new models that don't know. I'm like, don't touch them either. Like, turn your hips to the right. Takes a whole lot less time to say than getting up and walking over and touching me. Don't do it. Yeah. I, it's hard to imagine like the audacity. Like, how can you not realize that that's very uncomfortable? especially when we're the power dynamic is there like you're employing us you're likely larger than us we're likely in a space that we don't know that that power dynamic is already off i don't need you to untwist my bra strap i mean me my bra strap wouldn't be twisted because i've been doing this for 17 years but (laughs) right you could just tell the new model like oh there's a strand of hair out of place or your bra straps twisted or fill in the blank yeah Right. But I think some of these people, like photographers that are doing this kind of stuff, maybe their thought of themselves is that, oh, I'm not one of the bad guys. So it's okay if I come up and like, you know, touch her hair or like adjust her clothing because I don't have poor intentions. But, you know, you're still touching them without consent. That's still crossing the line. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I'm photographer. I just had dinner with him recently that I'm friends with we were shooting last year I think it was last year and he kept trying to tell me to do something with my foot I'm fully clothed I'm in a park I have boots on and I'm like I I don't know what you're asking me to do just put my foot where you want it and he's like no I can't and I'm like no really 
So we got in this like 10 minute long lover spat about just put my foot where you want it. I'm telling you, <laughs> you want me to record consent of put my foot where. Yeah, I, I can see. OK, I've had a similar interaction, too, where there's times where it's you're, you're obviously very comfortable with like something like that, if it makes sense, especially you know, for me, like when I'm in some weird upside down pose and a piece of hair looks like it's giving me a mustache and I can't get it off my face because I need my hands to balance, you know, it's obvious that I can be like, okay, can you get my hair, you know, like, yeah. So there's some times where it's obvious, but there's a lot of times where people are definitely trying to cop a feel slightly or you just be up in your business and like in your personal bubble when, when it's unwarranted. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Well, Brendan, we've had such a fantastic conversation. If you have anything that you would like to plug before we get off the show, I'd like to give you the opportunity to do that. Yes. So I'm I'm looking at my emotional support calendar right now. I am still booking through April, Arizona, Nevada, Southern California, Northern California, Portland, Seattle, and a very, very, very rare appearance in New Mexico, which happens like once every eight years so reach out i'm sure that you'll post my socials yes i will i definitely will and then i'll make a little snippet that's tagging you also when the episode comes out yes excellent and i'll cool. see you in seattle yeah yeah definitely the 27th or 28th i'll make some time available sweet i will t- Heck yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Brennan. It's been really fantastic doing the episode with you. And everybody give Brennan a follow. And if you're a photographer, book her. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Levis. It's been great. Yeah, totally. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.